0: Good morning, Parkway Church. How we doing? Good. So glad that you guys are here. My name is Mike, and I am the loser of the Don't Laugh Dad Joke Challenge. Is it hot in here? No, those jokes were just on fire. I am so glad that you're here with us today. We're continuing our series, Kings and Kingdoms, where we are talking about the God and Him being the leader, the king of our life. We began this series with a look at how in the book of 1 Samuel, God's people rejected him and how they said no to God as their leader and Samuel as their judge and they asked for an earthly king like the other nations have. And I ask you the question and I challenged you personally to consider this, why would you settle for a substitute, a useless, no good replacement when you can follow the one true living God? Don't settle for a substitute king. Don't settle for anything or anyone as your God besides the one true living God. And then last week, we got to see the the first two kings that Samuel anointed over Israel. Under God's leadership, he anointed Saul, who was an imperfect king. He was rejected not once but twice and then replaced by King David. Now, King David, as I reminded you last week, he was an imperfect man as well. And yet he was known as a man who was after God's own heart. He sinned. He had great seasons of obedience despite his disobedience. He returned to God despite his sin. God said he was after his own heart, that he would do everything that he commanded. And I encourage you to be that man or woman who follows the one true king. And though we're not perfect, we walk with him on purpose every day of our lives. We walk with him, chasing after him, because we are more than just sinners saved by grace. We are victors in Jesus Christ, because we are more than just sinners saved by grace. We are sons and daughters of the Most High. We are his. And so now we pick up in the book of 1 Kings, and and David has lived his life well with the Lord. The book of Acts would tell us that he served God with a purpose in his generation, And then he died, and they buried his bones with his ancestors. But just before we get to that moment, a decision has to be made for David's kingdom, the people of God. Who would follow him as king? What would be his succession plan? What legacy would he leave to his people? And so as we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 1, if you brought your Bible, you can open up with me at 1 Kings chapter 1. As we pick up the story in 1 Kings chapter 1, there's a little controversy in the kingdom. You see, David has declared through private relationships who would be the next king, and that would be his son Solomon. But out in the villages, there's a man who is vying for the kingship Himself, We got a little game of thrones happening here. Who will take the throne? One man is the king's son. The other man is building relationships and building a power base. He's inviting all the warriors and all the elected officials, everybody except for one guy, Solomon, into his camp. He's making offerings. He's giving away food. He is building a case that he should be the next king. And that's where we pick up the story. 1 Kings 1, 11 through 14. Here's what the Bible says. Then Nathan asked Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, have you not heard that Adonijah, son of Haggith, has become king and our Lord David knows nothing about it? So essentially we had a king that was heir apparent according to the throne, and then we had a king that the people wanted. And so Nathan, the prophet of God, goes to Bathsheba and says, have you heard about this? And he says, now let me tell you, keep reading, verse 12. Now then, let me advise you how you can save your own life and that of your son Solomon. You see, if the people's choice became king, Solomon and Bathsheba would be the first to go because they're power brokers in the old kingdom. But Nathan says, save your life by doing this, verse 13 and 14. Go into into King David and say to him, My lord, the king, did you not swear to your servant, surely Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne? Remind the king of the promise he made, and then let him know what's happening. Why then, is Adonijah become king? And Nathan says, while you are still there talking to the king, I will come in and I will add my word to what you have said. So the scene is set. First Kings. 15 and following. So Bathsheba went to see the aged king in his room, where Abishag the Shumanite was attending to him. Bathsheba bowed down, prostrating herself before the king. What is it that you want? The king asked. So she comes in, the aged king being cared for, she went low before him, and then she said, My Lord, you yourself swore to me, your servant by the Lord your God. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me, and he will sit on my throne. But now Adonijah has become king, and you, my lord, the king, do not know about it. He has sacrificed a great number of cattle, fatted calves, and sheep, has invited all the king's son, Abathar, the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army, but has not invited Solomon, your servant, my lord king. The eyes of Israel, all the eyes of Israel are on you to learn from you who will sit on the throne of my Lord the King after him. Otherwise, as soon as the Lord the King is laid to rest with his ancestors, I and my son Solomon will be treated as criminals. So she did a phenomenal job laying out the issue. And the king heard her, And then Nathan came in and confirmed the whole story to King David. So how did David respond? 1 Kings 1, 28 through 30. Then King David said, call in Bathsheba. So she came into the king's presence and stood before him. The king then took an oath. Here's his oath. As surely as the Lord lives, who delivered me out of every trouble... I surely will carry out this very day what I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Solomon, your son, shall be king after me and he will sit on my throne in my place. So all of Israel was looking to David to see what kind of legacy would he leave. Would he leave a legacy to a son or would he let the people's choice rise up? What would his legacy be? And in the end of his life, he looked and said, My legacy is through not my possessions, not through what I have accumulated, not through my accomplishments, but my legacy is through my son. And so he called Bathsheba in. He said, I made this commitment to you privately, and now I declare it to you publicly. Solomon, your son. My son will be king. And now we know how the Bible plays out. Solomon becomes one of the richest, wisest men to ever live. He he would write the book of Ecclesiastes. And again, like his father, he had some ups and downs in his journey with the Lord. But it was unquestionable what David's legacy was. His legacy was through his son, Solomon. Solomon. And as you consider the story today, let me ask you, what kind of legacy are you leaving today, both men and women? Fathers and those without children. Mothers and those without kids. Those with full nests, those with empty nests. What kind of legacy are you leaving? Remember a year or so ago when I preached on losing my marbles? This jar is representative of my son, Nicholas. When this jar was full, it had 895 marbles in it. The number of marbles from the time that he was born, March 24, 2000. You guys ready to feel old? People that were born after Y2K have now graduated. Crazy. It had 895 marbles in it. And as each week went by, I would remove a marble until we got to the 1st of May. And there were only four marbles left. 1st of May came, Mother's Day came, the weekend before graduation came, and then graduation came. And now I've lost all my marbles with my boy. You know, there are a lot of questions that come up when that jar is empty. What kind of legacy have I left in hemp? What kind of impact have I made on him? David got to the end of his life and had to ask that question. What kind of legacy am I going to leave? Today, I stand in front of you with an empty jar. And the question is, what kind of legacy have I, and good news with Nick, will I continue to leave in him? Is our legacy more than just what they will inherit? God, please. Is our inheritance more than just the experiences we can fill their busy little lives up with? God, please. What is it that defines our legacy? Are we choosing people over stuff? Are we choosing love for the Lord as a legacy that we pass down? Is the legacy that we hand down to our kids a changed family tree? Meaning you are living your life differently for the Lord Jesus than anyone else in your family tree has lived it. And so your family tree will be forever changed because of the way that you're living and because of the way that you're raising your kids. I just wanna make sure that we understand this Father's Day, the stakes that we're playing for. Because there are some families that will never ever be the same because you have a relationship with Jesus. And because you have a relationship With your kids, you are changing your family tree. Your family tree might have been filled with divorce and you say, no more. Your family tree might have passed down addictions and habits and hurts and hangups and you say, no more. In the name of Jesus, I am a victor in Jesus Christ. And I am changing my family tree by the way I live. Friends, as we look at the legacy that we leave, God blesses our righteousness. God blesses us as we follow him. Is your legacy one of submission to God's plan and not your own? There's a great lesson for everyone to learn as they watch our lives. When we submit ourselves to God's perfect plan for our life, instead of chasing after our own hopes and dreams that are outside of God's plan, David chose to pass his legacy on through his kid, Solomon. And listen to how everybody accepted it. 1 Kings 1, 47 through 48. So also the royal officials have come to congratulate our Lord King David saying, May your God make Solomon's name more famous than yours and his throne greater than yours. And the king bowed in worship on his bed and said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has allowed my eyes to see a successor on my throne today. So David looked at the end of his life and celebrated and says, I can see success for my life because I have a successor. I'm passing down a legacy to my son. And the officials came around him and they said, Praise be to God. May Solomon's name be even greater than yours, David. May Solomon's fame and may his impact, and his difference-making, may he be even greater than you. I love it when there were the people came before David and said, may your son be greater than you. David didn't bow up and say, no, 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 I'm the one that killed Goliath, nobody could be greater than me. David didn't bow up and say, oh, no, 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 no. I'm the king of God's people. No one could be greater than me. But instead, David worshipped God. And he said, may it happen. May the ultimate success of my life be the success of the ones that I'm living with and living for as my children. My dad had this same mindset. He wanted all of his kids to do better than him. There were a few goals in life that my dad wanted to make sure that we accomplished that he never did. My dad passed away 22 years ago, which means I've lived longer without him than I lived with him. And there are some days that I wish he got to see because he wanted me and my brother and my sister to be better than him in some ways. He got to see my brother graduate from college, something he never did. He got to stand with me and see me graduate from college. He missed my sister graduating from college. I wish he could have seen it. He would have been so proud. He always saw his lack of formal education as one of the greatest hindrances in his life occupationally. And so he wanted to make sure that his family was educated to the best of their ability. And so he always pushed us, always encouraged us, provided a way for us to go to college. My dad wanted us to be good people. He, he raised us in a house that was full of good morals and full of good table manners. I can't tell you how many times my dad, when I was growing up, would tell me, are you going to Eat like that when you're at a business meeting? You could eat like that when you're with clients and customers? I look back and I was like, Dad, I'm six. <laughs> but but he wanted me to be prepared. And wouldn't you know I got a job where I get to eat with a lot of people? I'm prepared. He wanted us to be better. He wanted us to be better parents. And he would have been so proud to see my son graduate, to see my nephew graduate. He would have been so proud to hold a great grandbaby this week, not mine, (laughs) just for the record. He would have been so proud to see those days because he wanted us to be better than him. And as I look at the legacy that I want to leave for my kids, I hope and pray that I have the heart of King David and that I have the heart of Ronnie Hurt. It says, I want my kids to the best of their ability as God leads their life to be better than me. I want them to be better people. I want them to be better servants of Christ. I want them to be better than me. Now, if my kids were standing here with me and I said, hey, gang, I want you to be better than me. You know what they would tell you right now? They would say, Dad, you set that bar pretty low. <laughs> like, like, we need to aspire for something greater than that. So then at which point I might say, I want you to even be greater than your mom. And they would say, no way, Dad. But it's possible. It's possible. Have you thought about the legacy that you're leaving? I mean, have you really, really thought about it intentionally? Intentionally? Or you said, I want to make sure that my kids and my family and those that look at my life, even if I don't have kids that I'm raising right now. Have you looked and you said, I want to make sure that my legacy is one where, where people know the king that I'm following and the kingdom that I'm a part of. I've thought about it and I want to share with you some ideas of how I want my kids to be like me and how I want my kids to be better than me. And I want you to think about that same list in your head. Everyone praised God when Solomon was named king. David had done his job. What's your job to do? What do you want your kids to be like you in and with? And where in in your life if you go, if my kids are like me in this area, I have failed miserably. I'll give you a thought about that. I want them to be like me, and I want them to be different than me. The first place that I would like my kids to be like me is in having a faith filter, and you can fill in that blank. One of the things that we do as a family, and it's a partnership that Christy and I live out together, is we help our kids process everything in light of their faith. We help our kids consider decisions in light of what they believe. We help our kids consider consequences in light of what they believe. We help our kids build friendships and establish relationships in light of what they believe. Because what we hope our kids will know is that every part of their life is affected by their faith. They don't go to school and unplug from Jesus, they don't go out with friends and disconnect from the Lord. Everything they do in life is connected with their relationship with God. And we want for them to know that. They don't go to work and have to dishonor or have permission to dishonor God or to not follow God because every part of their life has a faith filter. So, what does my faith tell me? And our hope and our confidence as we raise our kids this way is that what we see in the Bible will come true in their life as well. In Proverbs 22, verse six, listen to this. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they were old, they will not turn from it. See, that's the reason we have all the conversations we have, because it's our job to launch them into life, hopefully a life where they will honor God. When they can make their own decisions, we want to have shown them how to make decisions in line with what their faith says. Second way that we want our kids to be like us is this, hard work. And you can fill in that blank. We want our kids to know that everything we do, we do it as under the Lord. That if it's worth doing in life, it's worth doing well. And if you're going to do something well, that takes hard work. One of the things that you hear in our house time and time again is that we do hard things. If a child comes and says, hey, this project that I'm working on is hard. Great, we do hard things. Say I'm struggling with a dance routine it's hard. Excellent, because we do hard things. You realize there's no area in your life that's healthy and happy without hard work. It takes hard work to have a nice house and to keep that nice house clean. It takes hard work to keep a job and to thrive and to work in that job in such a way that you're a blessing to others. Every area in life takes work. And we want our kids to know that. We don't want them to wake up one day and feel entitled to life. (laughs) Like they've earned anything. Like I've earned anything. We want our kids to know about work. As unto the Lord. Listen to what Colossians 3:23 3, through 24 says. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ that you are serving. So go mow that yard for Jesus. Do a good job. Go clean that room for God. And for God's sake, do a really good job. Do your absolute best on your schoolwork because God will bless that. We know in the Bible it says what's done in the private will be seen in the public. And that study is one of the things that pays off. Do your best. Work hard at everything. So on Thursday afternoons, I stand here and I preach this message to an empty room. And I do that just in case technology fails us so that our campuses Hi, Parkway Port Lavaca. Hi, Lone Trey. Hi, online. So, our campuses have something to share. And so, as I was preaching to the empty room at this point on Thursday, I came to a point where I was preaching up a storm. And I said something like this I said, In our house, we work hard on everything. We work hard to serve the church. We work hard at work, whatever our job is, whether that's a student or like a real job. We work hard at our hobbies. We work hard around the house. In fact, the only area we don't work hard in is in our bellies. And I meant to say a joke or make a joke, but then it hit me. And this weekend over ice cream, I was considering it. Is there really any area in life where I can tell my kids you can work hard in everything except for this? I have worked hard for my belly. I mean, make no doubt about it. It's enjoyable work. It's pleasurable work. It's work I look forward to. But, but think about it. What area of life have you given your kids permission not to do great at? Because of the example you've set for them So I want my kids to be like me with a faith filter. I want my kids to be like me with hard work. And then lastly, I want my kids to be like me with a strong family value. In recent years, we've come to a new conviction in our family. And that's that we do life together. We aren't people that simply live in the same house and go our own direction. We are a family. And so we do life and we do things together. We are with each other and we are for each other. Raising three teenagers in one house, I mean, there, I can't tell you how many times I have to say, Would somebody please be nice? Would somebody please be friendly? Would somebody please? I can't tell you how many times Christy has to look at me and say, Would somebody please be friendly? Would somebody please drop the dad jokes? Please because we want our kids to know that when they're home and we eat around that dinner table, we are not only with them, but we are for them. And so we've got to set the tone in our house so that our kids know that not only do you have to be with us, but we want to be with you. And we are for you. And there's nothing you won't go through in life. or There's nothing you will go through in life that we won't stand with you on, because we are for you. I love that about our family. Proverbs 1.8 says, Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. For our kids to want to be like us, to listen to our instruction and to not forsake our teaching, you know what they're gonna need? They're gonna need a relationship with us. They're gonna need to know that we are not only with them, but we are for them. So three ways I'd like for my kids, three legacies I'd like to leave that they see in me. And now two ways, very quickly, that I'd like for them to be different than me. The first one is this, I want them to be different than me, that they've got love as their first response. You know, I speak two languages. English is my second language. Sarcasm is my first. I am bilingual, and I am so good at speaking sarcasm that sometimes I forget that I need to translate to, to reach the people around me and to talk to the people around me in English. But I want my kids to have a different response to people. And I'm so proud when I see these moments in their life when they respond not like their earthly dad, but like their heavenly father. With love is their first response. Listen to what John 13, 34 and 35. If you are committed to discipling your kids in the Lord, love is a first response is a must. John 13, 34 and 35. A new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If we're raising little ones, kids, grandkids, great grandkids, if we're building friendships in small groups where we think that we are investing and pouring our lives in them, discipling them, then love as a first response must be a part of that. Because Jesus says, by this, by your love for each other, all men will know that you are my disciples. I hope that my kids learn from the perfection of their heavenly father and not the limited reflection of their earthly father when it comes to love as the first response. Second, I hope that my kids will dream bigger than me. And what I mean by that is that do what God has called and gifted them to do without hesitation. Christy is so good at this. She's been talking to the kids for years about their ability to pray and their ability to work and their ability to study so that they could go to the college of their choice. So they could dream big. Put no limits on God. And so as Nick started looking at colleges, he started looking at a great private university in Waco. It's right near the silos. You may have heard of it. It's Baylor. And I started looking at Baylor and the, the big cost up here. And as he started talking about Baylor, I was like, you know, Texas State's great. As he started talking about Baylor. I was like, hey, let's go check out Texas Tech. So he started talking about Baylor. I was like, you know, UNT really is the best music school, and that's what you're all about, bro. Just want you to succeed. And Christy said, we've been talking school of choice, pastor. Let's see how God provides. She didn't say the pastor part. I insert that for comedic effect. And you know what God did? God made a way for my son to go to school, his school of choice, cheaper than any of the other schools that I was trying to get him to go to. Why? Because he prayed. Why? Because he worked for his grades. Why? Because he applied for every scholarship under the sun and some that are yet to come. And God delivered. I wish my kids could dream bigger than me because I want them to be able to see what God has called them to do. You know, 1 Timothy says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set the example for believers in speech and life and love and faith and in purity. You know, I'd hope that my kids would set a dream for their life that says no matter what age or life stage we're in, that's our character. We're gonna set the example for believers, but we're also gonna dream big as to what God can do in us. We're also gonna dream big as far as what God can accomplish in us. Because we're following him. He is our king, and we're trusting him. About 17 years ago, I was sitting at a table at a men's retreat in Southern Maryland. And the question of legacy came up. And we were talking about the legacies we wanted to to leave and to live. And the question came about, of what dreams do you have? So 29-year-old Mike looks at this table of men and says, you know what? I feel like I'm already living my dream. I feel like I'm already living all the dreams I had for my life. I'm working at a phenomenal church, flying all over the country, teaching people how to do small groups. I've got a kid. I've got a beautiful wife. I've got a nice house. I'm living the dream. And Tom, who is still one of the elders of that amazing church, looked across the table at me and said, son, If you're living your dream now, you're not dreaming big enough. And he was right. Because there was so much more to do and so much more to accomplish. So now I see dreams of other kids graduating from high school and emptying my house. I see dreams of (laughs) grandkids coming and filling the house. I see all sorts of different dreams now. But I want my kids to naturally dream bigger because of the God that they're following. And I want them to naturally love first because of the God that they're following. Friends, how do you want your kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, dogs, cats, how do you want them to be like you? And how do you want them to be different than you? Your legacy is left in relationships. Be like David. Leave it well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the chance to open the Bible and to learn today. I thank you for the chance to encourage and to share on Father's Day. And so, God, I pray you help us all to leave the legacy, to make the investments intentionally that we want to make. Give us wisdom as we look at ourselves and say, Yeah, Lord, I want them to be like me. Or, Lord, help them to not be like me. God, I pray. That you would help us to leave a legacy where our kids truly do return to you and follow you and walk with you when they're old. God, I pray that you would help us to leave a legacy where we truly do do everything for you. We work for you in every way. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to leave a legacy where strong families and family trees are changed because we're walking with you. As we continue to pray, if you've never believed in Christ and found life in Him alone, I need you to know that that's the most important decision you can make today. The Bible says that you're a sinner who needs a Savior. But Jesus is the Savior and Lord. He died and was raised again from the dead to offer you life and to give you new life. A home in heaven as well. If you never believed that simple message that you're a sinner who needs a Savior... I invite you to believe today and find life. You can pray. Jesus, I believe. I believe that I'm a sinner who needs a Savior and that you are the Savior of the world. Thank you for coming for me, for dying in my place and being raised again from the dead. Today, I believe. Thank you for giving me life.